0: Some years ago, in a Nike commercial, professional basketball player Charles Barkley once said, I am not a role model. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. He made an interesting point, and I personally am thankful that he doesn't raise uh, my children. Uh, But in a huge and glaring way, He was shirking the obvious influence that he and so many other famous people have on others, in particular on young people. He touched a nerve on this issue of should famous people, athletes, be good examples? Are they role models, so to speak? And should they be held to a high standard since they influence the young generation? It's a good question. I like Cal Ripken's answer better than Charles Barkley's. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and he said this in his acceptance speech. As years passed, it became clear to me that kids see all, not just some of your actions, but all. Whether we like it or not, we big leaguers are role models. The only question is, will it be positive or will it be negative? Should we put players up on pedestals and require that they take responsibility? No, but we should encourage them to use their influence positively to help build up and develop the young people who follow the game. Sports can play a big role in teaching values and principles. Just think, teamwork, leadership, work ethic, and trust are all part of the game, and they are also all factors in what we make of our lives. Interesting point. As we grow and mature in life, we see more and more that everything we do, everything we say, everything we are has an effect on those around us for good or for bad, for good or for bad, everything. Cal Ripken seemed to figure that out. What about us, brethren? Do we see the importance of our example, the power of example, and how critical it will be as we function In God's kingdom in the future, all the way into the great white throne judgment period. I'd like to focus on that today for the sermon as we're thinking about the last great day. For my title, uh, this is the one that I've picked, Example and the Last Great Day. Example and the Last Great Day. You know, sometimes it may be hard for us to be told that we are an example to others or should be an example or should set a better example. It's too much pressure. We, we don't want the spotlight on us in that way. And yet, as we go through the Feast of Tabernacles and we think about our many responsibilities that we will have in God's kingdom under Christ that we hear about for the days of the Feast of Tabernacles teaching people in the millennium. Whether we like it or not, being an example will be part of our job. As we think about this day, let's look at, by way of introduction, Leviticus chapter 23. We see uh, where we find the instruction about this day that we're keeping, the last great day, Uh, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 33, then... The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, which is, of course, what we've done. And on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work On it, So that's what we're doing on this day. Verse 39, also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you shall have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. So we are keeping this day as a holy day, a separate feast day uh, that we call it the last great day, which has great significance. What is prophesied to happen on this day, after the millennium? I think Mr. Meredith will speak uh, on the meaning of the day. Uh, much of it today, as we uh, are keeping this day, in, in his uh, in his recording. But I'd like to touch on a few things as well, as we look at the the overall perspective and overall topic of our example, and what. Our destiny will be and our function in the kingdom, not just through the millennium, but also on into the great white throne judgment period. Revelation 20 and verse 1, we pick up the story. He says, And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Years. That, of course, was pictured by the Day of Atonement, that Satan the devil will be bound and taken away for the whole millennium. Verse 3, and it says, And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so that's what's going to happen. He will be released uh, for a little while. He says in verse 4, <clears throat> in verse um, verse 4 we read, "...and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands." And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. There's the implication that the rest of the dead are going to live again. <clears throat> this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. And of course, when we think about the first resurrection, there is a Assumption that it's leading to a second resurrection as well. That if there's a first, then there will also be a second. And what a wonderful overview of the first resurrection and the saints ruling with Christ on thrones, the saints who will have been purified and tested and proved that they will follow Christ and God no matter what, that their life matches their profession, what they say, they are good examples. This is the first resurrection. Of course, this is what we are hoping and striving to be in so that we can be reigning there with him for a thousand years. There will be a second resurrection. We'll come to that in a moment. Verse 7, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So we get a picture after the millennium is over, something's going to happen. After the thousand years of living God's way and all the transition that we talk about during the Feast of Tabernacles, after true freedom spreads throughout the land and all over the globe. After peace and prosperity and a new economic system, after the saints are ruling with Christ in a loving and compassionate way, for a thousand years, who could possibly turn away? How could anyone possibly turn away after seeing this wonderful way of life for generation after generation? Is it possible that after a thousand years of Christ himself ruling on earth and billions and billions of people living and prospering, that one rotten apple could come along and ruin everything? Brethren, just how devastating is one bad example? Just one. That's all it takes. We're talking about Satan, the devil, being released and being allowed to influence human beings. What's the power of one bad example? Have you ever noticed how much quicker a bad example takes effect than a good example? You know, human beings, we, we seem to be influenced a whole lot more quickly by a downward pull than a positive example. And the work of generations will be undone, at least for a little while, at least in the lives of some, just in a few short years, uh, he says, for a very short time. You know, it's especially devastating when when a bad example is someone in a a prominent leadership position. It's even more destructive. And of course, that's what uh, Satan will have and and does have. He's the, the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this world. And he will stir up perhaps millions of people when he's released to affect them again as the sand of the sea, people who might have been in your city perhaps uh, as you are ruling over an area. They might even be some of your people. Have you ever thought about that? You know, people who you have been teaching, Uh, maybe for generations, whole generations of families. And they will have heard your instructions, and they will have seen your life and example. And yet they will be deceived by a powerful propaganda machine. And they will come to the point where they see God as the enemy, and they will attack Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. That's what we read. That's what we think about on this day. Brethren, it shows how dangerous even one bad example is. Well, the siege will be shortly put down. He says in verse 9, "...they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever." So the devil is defeated and, and now finally put away Forever the rotten apple who has caused so many others to spoil what a relief it will be when that being is put away with his demons the one who drew so many into lust and greed and pain and sin and death but why did god allow him to hang around for so many years well he used satan and uses Satan, And will use Satan to test mankind, to make us really prove if we are willing to stand up and do the right thing. And further, if we are willing to be a part of the solution and be a good example to others. Be a part of the team that is actually trying to bring apart the right solution. Thus begins what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment period. Revelation chapter 20. And verse 11, we read, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now what does this mean? Well, how do the dead stand up? Well, when you're dead, you can't stand up, right? So it has to be talking about a resurrection. We read about the resurrection The first resurrection before, so logically this would be the second resurrection. The dead are brought back to life. Now before going any further, let's answer a question. Are they resurrected to spirit life or physical life? We get a glimpse of that over in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 in verse 1. We'll come back to Revelation in a moment, but Ezekiel 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. There's no doubt about it, that these are physical, and that these are dead. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And again he said to me, prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter in you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. No question he's talking about bones and sinews and, and skin and breath, about physical life, about people being raised to physical life again. He's talking about a physical resurrection. When would this take place and who was it? Verse 10, he says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we ourselves are cut off. And then he says in verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army, the whole house of Israel. Think about it, all the, the millions and billions of people who have lived, who in that particular family, the house of Israel, um, the, being raised to physical life again. This is obviously in the future. It's never happened before uh, where the whole house of Israel was raised to physical life think about all the tribes who've lived and died through the centuries and millennia you know even in our modern world today in, in, in the united states alone we have 300 million or and more uh, people living here just think of how many bi- millions and millions and millions of people it's a massive group he's talking about the whole house of israel throughout history is going to be going to be raised They say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, or we ourselves are cut off. Verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, and I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. What an incredible scripture and passage to, for the whole house of Israel to know God personally, to have His Spirit in them, and to be given their own land. A massive resettling, even bigger than uh, than what will happen at the beginning of the millennium that we talk about during the feast. Verse 21 Then say to them, "'Thus says the Lord God, "'Surely I will take the children of Israel "'from among the nations wherever they have gone "'and will gather them from every side "'and bring them into their own land, "'and I will make them one nation in the land "'on the mountains of Israel. "'And one king shall be king over them. "'They shall no longer be two nations, "'nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again.'" He says, verse 24, "'And David, my servant, shall be king over them.'" And they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. David will be their king. They will look to him as their king, the resurrected king. What an amazing day that will be. Now, will this be limited to the Israelites only? We read often in <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11 and explain that, uh, that, of course, there is also a judgment that Christ talked about for the Gentiles. <clears throat> and it's interesting the way he phrases it, which shows that there, there's something happening, that the Gentiles will also have their opportunity for a physical resurrection, those who have not uh, been uh, God, converted and, and been God's people in this life. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, he says... Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you, and for Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom it would have been would have remained until this day but i say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you well it doesn't make any sense unless we look at this in terms of a day of the last great day when all of these people will be raised and have their opportunity to to live and to grow, and to respond. And these people of Tyre, and Sidon, and Sodom will be able to say that to the people of Capernaum and Bethsaida, how could you possibly not respond to Jesus Christ? You had Him in your midst. And that's what he's talking about. They will be raised again. Chapter 12 and verse 41, he says... The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation. They'll rise up. That's talking about a uh, resurrection. And condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation. It's talking about a resurrection. And condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So very clear, it's talking about a physical resurrection, not just for the Israelites, but also for the Gentiles as well. This is, of course, what we read in Revelation 20. Let's go back there to Revelation 20. Again, as we think in terms of, of our example, we think in terms of our life, we think in terms of our calling, the opportunities that God has given to us, every one of us that are at the feast and that are observing the last great day, the opportunities to know these things ahead of time and have a chance to respond and repent ourselves and change and grow and be a part of the solution and be a part of the program that we can help others, not just today but in the future, in in an astounding ways, perhaps millions and, and even billions of people potentially. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, he says, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. We think about the, the people that are going to be raised at this time, and it's an, it's an awesome thought. <clears throat> the books were opened. It seems clear that these books are talking about the books we read today, the books of the Bible. And what do the books say? They talk about the laws of God, the ways of God, but they also describe the examples of men and women in the Bible. This this book that we read is a listing of examples of people who have lived their life, who have gone before. The good traits and their flaws. It's all open for us to see. And and these people in in the resurrection will read these examples and will study them. And then amazingly they'll be able to talk to personalities personally like Noah about the flood, and Abraham about walking through the land of Canaan, and Moses about going through the Red Sea. What a powerful thing that will be. Can you imagine the the testimony of those Old Testament and New Testament saints backing up and filling in the the details of the stories that people will read in the Bible? And then he says, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And we know, of course, that that means that is their chance to have eternal life, to be in God's family, to repent, and to have God's Spirit, and to be changed and have Christ living in them just as He's living in us today. And the dead were judged according to their works. By the things which were written in the books, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. So they will be raised. God doesn't judge people in the ultimate sense until they have had a genuine chance to really repent, and that will be their chance. Now think about it. During the millennium, we will be working with people who are who are a blank slates, so to speak, as each generation is born uh, during those 1,000 years and brought up. It's all they will ever know, will have ever known, the millennium. Um, they will be uh, had a tremendous advantage because they will be learning things and from a very young age. But think about the people raised up in the great white throne judgment period. They will be raw, so to speak. They will be brought back to life after having their last conscience thought being in this world, in Satan's world. You know, uh, Ezekiel talks about that great army. Perhaps some, many of them will have had their last breath fighting in an army, in a death struggle. And their first reaction may be to get back into the fight, look for someone to fight with. Or maybe someone who's, in our day, uh, who was killed in a dark alley somewhere, mugged or attacked, and their first reaction may be to get up and run away, thinking they're still uh, being attacked. Or maybe someone who died from a, a drug overdose, their first reaction may be looking for another pill or another a syringe, another shot, another drink. They won't be aware of a passage of time, it's, it's just a sleep. And so since they're not aware of the passage of time, at first, the first instant, they may think this is still Satan's world with the same rules, the same methods, the same way to get ahead, everyone looking out for themselves. And they'll think their life is just a continuation of what their life was before. And we're going to be there to tell them it's different. It's okay. They don't have to run. No one is after them. No one's chasing them. No one's going to hurt them. If they died from, a, from cancer or a heart attack, we'll be able to put a hand on their shoulder and, and say, it's okay, you're all right now. And we'll tell them something that will blow their minds that a 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 years have passed. And now they're living again. Now, if you were in their shoes... Coming out of Satan's world, going to sleep, next instant someone tells you a thousand years has passed, or two thousand. Would you believe it? I mean, you grew up in, and you lived in Satan's world. You couldn't trust people. They might think it's a science fiction story, you know, those who, who are in our our day. But you might be a little skeptical um, is it really real? What are these people telling you? If your last uh, moment, your last thought was was living, you know, in the squalor of an Indian slum, or uh, or perhaps a a, a serf in medieval Europe, or a guerrilla fighter in the, in the jungles, in the many wars that we've had, <clears throat> what an incredible thing! But we will be able to tell them all. The rules have changed. Everything's different. Things are better. And it's all because of God and His Spirit and His laws and His ways and His plan that He is working out and His love for you and for me. That's what we're going to do. But brethren, what's going to happen then? After we tell them that, after we explain to them what's happened, after we tell them that all the rules are new, all the rules are different, then they're going to watch us. They're going to watch you and me. And they're going to say, okay, you tell me all the the rules are different. I want to see if you're real. I want to see if it's true. I'm going to watch you personally because I want to see if your life matches up with what you're saying. You think people now look at us, our neighbors, and watch us and scrutinize us, you know, these weird people who who get uh, dressed up every Saturday and go to church, but brethren, wait until the general resurrection when who knows how many billions of people are resurrected and need assurance that this is real, and over time they'll understand, they'll rejoice, they'll be excited, but at first they'll need some time and some patience, and they will need us to be good examples to bear that burden. To be good examples, I, Isaiah chapter sixty-five, Isaiah chapter sixty-five, and verse verse seventeen. How important will it be that we are good examples in that moment, at that crucial time in these people's lives? Just how critical. For billions and billions of people, that they see something that matches up with what they hear. Isaiah 65 and verse 17, he says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Verse 18, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. And so because of this, we speculate that this general, uh, this time period will be about 100 years long the last great day period. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. In other words, this is no longer Satan's world. This is no longer the the, the, the God of this evil age directing things. All the rules have changed. It's not going to happen. The things that happen in our lifetime are not going to happen there. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are speaking, I will hear. Interesting, this, this passage mirrors Isaiah eleven six, talking about the millennium. But there's something here found here that's not found in Isaiah 11:6. This concept of before they call, I will answer; while they're speaking, I will hear. What it seems to imply is that Christ is going to be immediately attentive, quick and responsive to their needs. And all the saints working under Christ as well, because they will need it just like at the beginning of the millennium. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Again, uh, the world of the great white throne judgment period, a mirror image of the millennium, but starting from a snap resurrection from Satan's world. And we can be a part of it excuse me for a moment. But again, they're going to want to see proof. They'll be watching everything we do and everything we say, every move we make. Brethren, that's a lot of pressure. Or is it? Or is it? Is it really a lot of pressure? Is it really too much to help our brethren at that time transition quickly into a new world with as few obstacles as possible just by our example? You know, imagine, for example, if our ex- if our example would cause people to stumble and not believe the words they hear because of what they see. What if they saw this, 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse Second Samuel chapter 15, remember the story of um, Absalom, how things were going in the kingdom and he began to tell people um, a different story than, uh, than they were seeing in the king David, in the king, King David. Verse 1, after this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him, and Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. He was a real friendly guy. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right. You can just hear him, hear his inflection. But there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, "Oh." If only I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give them justice. I mean, you, you can just see it. You can see the inflection. You can see the, the uh, expression on his face. You can see him, how you'd pat the person on the shoulder. And, you know, if I were king, things would be so much better. I would hear you. I, you this would never happen if I was in charge. And so it was, verse 5, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him kiss him. In other words, he, he had a smooth way around, about him that he was, was able to uh, endear people to him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Brethren, will this happen? In the great white throne judgment period? Of course not. It will never happen. But you know why? Because the saints will not be like this. The saints will have a good example, not a bad example. But just imagine for a moment if it happened. Think how devastating it would be. What if people, when they're raised in that time, they saw government officials, spirit beings undermining each other, maneuvering for advantage, politicking for position. Can you imagine how destructive that would be? And what a wildfire of a rumor and, and word that would start and get around that this is what the government's like. It's no different from before. It's competitive, it's backbiting, it's greedy. It's just like back in those days that they told us were gone. And then we will have lost them. And really all it takes is one bad example. We saw that in the example of Lucifer. One bad example. And then it's impossible to really move forward together and really make the last great day judgment period a time of incredible blessing and prosperity. One bad example is all it takes. What if someone appealed to Christ during this time because they saw injustice in their city? And what, what if this would be Christ's response? Matthew chapter twenty-three, Matthew chapter twenty-three and verse verse two. Uh, he said, um, uh, verse one. And Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works, for they say and do not. Can you imagine how devastating that would be if that's what Christ would have to say about these local leaders, about us? Well, you got to follow their direction because they sit in that post, but don't do what they do. Don't follow their example. Can you imagine how, how awful that would be? He says, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be seen by men. I said, Don't follow them. Brethren, again, this won't happen. It just won't. But why won't it happen? Because God is testing each one of us to make sure that we what we do is consistent with what we say. And he's not going to allow anyone to be in his kingdom, on his team, in his family who doesn't live what they say and doesn't have an example that matches up with what their profession is. Brethren, aren't we grateful that the The world tomorrow and the millennium and the great white throne judgment period will be a time that's consistent where examples will match up with profession. We've had enough of the other in this world. The world is tired of the do as I say, but not as I do routine. That's going to end. But it's going to end because we are willing to change ourselves first. It's interesting that Jesus Christ... Uh, has set us an example. He doesn't require us or anyone to do anything that, that he's not willing to. He said in John 13, 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's interesting when we think about his mission in life and why he came to this earth. Yes, he came to give his life a ransom for us. Yes, he came to be resurrected as high priest. But he also came to live his life as an example. He came to show the way as a, as a living, breathing advertisement of God's way. We read what he taught and then we look between the lines and we think about what he did and, and how he lived and how he reacted, and how he spoke, and how he treated people, and in every detail, and that speaks volumes to us. And we glean so much from it. You know, Christ also said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. When you look at my life, when you look at what I do, my actions, it's consistent with what I say. That's going to be the challenge for All of us at the great white throne judgment period to be an example to all these billions of people, an example that mirrors our profession. So brethren, what are we going to do? The choice is ours. You know, Micah chapter 4 and verse 4 says, But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. This is in the King James Version. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. We'll have an incredible influence and opportunity to, to help and affect and change and, and be an example to people. Question is, are we preparing for that now? Uh, does our example match our profession Now And that's a challenge for all of us, and that's a a question for all of us to examine ourselves. There are several things I'd like to focus on uh, as we uh, think about this, maybe make it a little more practical, several things to, to think about our example. Number one, number one, we cannot avoid being an example. We cannot avoid being an example. You know, like those sports celebrities, Uh, We won't call them sports heroes. They're not heroes. Heroes are people who do something important under uh, difficult circumstances. Uh, Sports celebrities are people who are famous because they have a a certain ability. Um, But, you know, again, some of them don't want to, to be held up as an example. But the truth is we cannot not be an example. It's like trying not to communicate, you know. What happens if, uh, if I cross my arms and just kind of glare? You know, what am I communicating? Is, uh, is it ever possible to not communicate even if we don't say anything? We are always communicating. The same is true of our example, isn't it? Whether what we do is good or bad, right or wrong, uh, the cold hard fact is... That God will use our example whether we like it or not. You know, He's done that in the past. We find that, we read that in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10 and uh, verse, verse 1. You know, God would, would much rather use our example as, as a positive example. Look, here is the right way to go, here is what to do, here is what I'd like you to do. Follow that person, follow them, they're doing the right thing, but you know, if we insist, if we really want him to, he may be forced to say, okay, there's an example that I don't want you to follow. And you know, that's just as instructive as a good example to, to God. It, it's not as good for us, it doesn't help us if we are used that way, um, but it's our choice. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ." But with most of them God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. That whole generation is written down in this book as a negative example. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Wouldn't it be a pity if our life would become an extension of 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Wouldn't it be a shame? It still would be a benefit for God to use our life, but why? 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 God is in the business of using personal examples to teach others. And when we make mistakes, they're never, ever wasted. He'll he'll use that too. He says, "...nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain and were destroyed by the destroyer." Verse 11, "...now all these things happened to them as examples." And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God doesn't allow us to anything to come on us that we can't handle. He is faithful, and He is merciful. And that's very comforting because we are going to make mistakes. And even, again, the the positive examples in the Bible, their lives are written with their mistakes and how they overcame them and how they handled them and how they grew. And that's powerful for us because it's encouraging for us that they weren't perfect. They learned their mistakes are very much out in the open but it encourages us because we realize they weren't superhuman and we are not either. And it helps us to know that we can make it too. But let's accept and let's acknowledge that God has to use our examples to teach others. That's the pattern he has been using from the beginning and he will either use it as a good example or a bad example. Either way is instructive to others. But of course, for our own good, let's let it be a positive example that he can use. Another point, the best examples are set when we're not trying to. The best examples are set when we're not trying to set an example, so to speak. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 37. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 37. Remember when, when Christ gave this um, this the example of, of, of uh, how he will speak to the righteous and the unrighteous. And he talked to, to the unrighteous about all the things that they did for him in their life. And then in verse 37, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came unto you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. If you've done it unto one of the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. It wasn't anything special. That's the point. They were just living their life. They were just living their normal way of life. But their normal way of life had been conformed to God's way of life. And so they didn't think of it as anything, uh, anything of a big deal. Notice in verse 41. Then he will say to the, also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in naked, and you didn't clothe me sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison didn't minister to you? You know, if you would have known that there was an inspection, we would have been ready. If we would have known it was you, oh, of course we would have served you. Of course we would have taken care of you. Of course we would have been nice to you and, and provided for your needs. You know, if we would have known it was someone important there... He says, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it unto the one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, the whole point is God wants us to learn to do it even when we don't know there's an inspection coming up. Even when we know, don't know that, okay, this, this is a test, that we don't know if someone's looking. Hebrews 13 and verse 2 says, Don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. God wants to know, are we living this life occasionally? Are we having a good attitude once in a while Or are we doing it as a way of life, not just when we think it's worth it, not just when we want someone to see our example, who's around, who we think is important, but all the time. You know, that's why it's so important that we work on our example at home, you know, with those who really see us like no one else, and that's our our husband, our wife, our children, our parents. What is our example at home? What is your example at home? Think about it. Is it good? Is it positive? Does it reflect what we say on the Sabbath? Does it reflect what we say to the brethren when we're at church? Does it reflect what we say to those who we may think are important? You know, if we're only setting a good example when... The quote unquote important people are around, we might want to think about our motivation. We might want to think about what we're doing, why we're really doing it. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Peter says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, by the example. And it can go either way. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward. You know, don't let it just be something that is just a show, just the physical, in this case for ladies, for, for example. Arranging their hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Without a word, they might be won by the conduct of their wives. Example is a powerful thing. Let's make sure that we are doing it all the time, not just when we think someone's looking. Another point about example. One good example is worth more than a thousand words. One good example is worth more than a thousand words. You know, we just read in 1 Peter 3, he says that... that Without a word, your conduct, your example will help them. might even cause some to be be converted. Um, Sometimes an example speaks louder than words. Remember the example of Abel. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Abel wasn't trying to cause trouble. He wasn't trying to shove his example down his brother's throat. At least the story doesn't say that. Uh, But, you know, sometimes no matter what we do, even if we try to make peace, Someone is not going to like what we do, our actions, uh, even if we're doing the right thing. And that's what happened to Abel. And he got uh, caught up in this uh, with Cain. Cain got jealous and he killed him. And it got him persecuted and even killed. But the interesting thing is what Paul says uh, about Abel in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Interesting. We don't have any recorded accorded um, words of Abel in the Bible. and yet his example is huge. It's a simple story. It's very clear-cut, it's not complicated. By his example, not his words, we are instructed today, 6,000 years later. Brethren, sometimes we need to give our tongue a break. You know, a lot of words are said sometimes as the day is long. But what about our demeanor and our actions and our deeds? Are those speaking the right things? And sometimes do we need to let those speak? Uh, take precedence over our words and 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 not let our tongue <clears throat> speak so much and be so uh, our focus all too often. Uh, we want to take the shortcut to influencing others we want to let them have it with our tongue, and we want to give it to them or we want to tell them of all the wonderful things that we 'll do or can do or have done. well, maybe we should let our actions speak for themselves sometimes. First John chapter 3 and verse verse 16. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, verse, uh, verse 18, he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The implication is not just in word or in tongue alone. Certainly our words are important, but in deed and in truth what we do. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Sure, there are times to speak up. There are times when we have to say something. But in terms of learning to set the example, all too often our tongues just kind of get in the way. And at the end of the day, it's more important what we do. So sometimes let's let our example speak because it's much more powerful than a thousand words. Another point, good examples make lifelong positive impressions. Good examples make lifelong positive impressions. You know, we need to never underestimate the power of a good example. I remember growing up as a young person. I was the youngest of five, so... Uh, the friends of my older brothers and sisters were, were several older uh, years older than me, and uh, many of them just barely put up with me, the little runt, little kid, but there was, uh, many of them were very, very, very kind as well. There was one particular older teenager, and uh, let's say he was around 17 when I was about 11 or 12, and uh, I've never forgot his example. Because he would actually talk to me. Really talk to me. I still remember to this day looking up to this tall guy. He was tall at that point already. And having a real conversation to me. And he talked to me as a real person. And he seemed to value me as a person and give me a a level of dignity even as an 11 or 12 year old. And uh, that's kind of hard to do most of the time for a 17 year old to do for an 11 year old year old thinking back about it I think this teenager probably thought very little of what he had done because that was his way of life he was that way with everybody but it's interesting that here we are years later uh, decades later and I'm still thinking about it it made a powerful impression on me There's no way that he could have uh, foreseen that decades later this 11-year-old boy would be still thinking about his example in some key and and crucial points. Young people, think about your example to those younger than you. Think about how great it makes you feel when someone older takes notice of you and takes the time to show attention to you and actually talk to you as a real person. You have no idea how much good you can do, and how long they will remember it. Uh, whatever age you are, there are kids that are and, and children that are younger than you that look up to you, and will 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 really appreciate you showing them some real attention. And think about it. You know, there's another point I, I want to point out to young people. Uh, We read in 1 Timothy 4.11, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. This was talking to Timothy. Paul was talking to Timothy as a minister. That was the context here. And uh, so he was saying, Timothy, be an example to the others in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I know he, he was talking to the minister. But... The, the the bigger point was Paul was saying, look, Timothy, <clears throat> even though you're younger than some of those that you are uh, influencing, your example means something. And it's like gravity. If you think about it, you know, every mass in the universe exerts gravity on every other mass. You know we have this, this giant earth that we're standing on. But you know, if we have a, a bowling ball that's lying on the ground, that bowling ball is exerting gravity on the earth as the earth is exerting gravity, the force of gravity on the bowling ball. It's just that the force from the earth is so much greater. But there is a reciprocal force depending on the mass. <clears throat> and someone younger can actually have an inspiring and encouraging example to someone who is older, to even the elderly. You know, young people and teens and children, just by being you, just by striving to to begin your walk with God in this life, you can encourage the older folks. You can be an encouragement to to them. It's true. When they look at you, they can see the future and they can be encouraged about that. If they see that you're walking with God and they see you're a good example, maybe not perfect, that's okay. They understand that. They weren't perfect either. But if you're beginning to buy into God's way and encourages them about the future of the church and inspires them to keep on going and keep moving forward and to not give up, you can be an example to others even now. It's powerful. And you don't know how... Your example will lift someone else up, and you may never hear about it personally. Or you might hear about it 10 years from now or 20 years from now. But you're not doing it to get applause anyway. You're doing it to follow God's way and to walk in His, in Christ's footsteps and to do the right thing because it's the right thing. You know, it's interesting how many. Scriptures in the Bible, as we review at the Feast and the Last Great Day, there are that God uses to teach us to think big, to think really long range. You know, especially in our Western culture today, we, we, are, we have so much short-range thinking, one year, two years, five years at the most. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't think long range. And yet, in the, in the Feast of Tabernacles and the Last Great Day, the, the feast days are, are teaching us to think long range, that we can be an example, and, and it's going to last for a long, long time. Matthew 5, verse 13 talks about uh, being the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Don't be afraid to stick out. Don't be afraid to be in the spotlight if it's God who puts you there. Uh, don't do it for the wrong reason, to focus on the self, but don't be like the man in the parable who, out of fear, holds back and refused to stretch himself when it was his time to step up to the plate and do the job that God wanted him to do. He wants us to be a people who can be relied upon to set a good and wholesome and positive example, not to glorify ourselves, but to, be, uh, to glorify him, to point to him. God is looking way beyond the now. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Notice 1 Peter chapter 2 and um, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And that's who we are. And what an incredible privilege it is to be a part of of a group that God is calling out and is using and is is molding and is shaping according to His will. Verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. That's interesting. God is saying, What you're doing today, think about what you're interact how you're interacting with people today, and how it will help them for years down the road. Because many of these people are not going to be converted until after the millennium. So God is thinking, and, and, and Peter is thinking, way down the road about our example. You know, in the general resurrection, when people wake up um, and walk up to us and say, I remember you, what will they remember about us? Um you know, will be we re, will they remember that we cut them off in traffic and we're yelling uh, obscenities at them? You know, or that uh, you know we came uh, you know in the customer service department and we were upset and we're giving them a piece of our mind, or that we cheated them in a business deal of of some type? You know. I think, thankfully, we will get to the point where we'll be able to smile and put a hand on their shoulder and say, Look, you know, I made it. Even I made it. Uh, God forgave me. I repented of, of that, that thing you remember me by. And here I am to help you. And since God worked with me, I can, he, He's also going to work with you. But, brethren, wouldn't it be even better? if what they remember about us in this life is one or two good things. Yeah, those people were, yeah, you were kind of strange. You were one of those Sabbath-keeping people. But, you know, you were a good neighbor. You were a good boss. You were a good employee. And now I understand what you were doing. And then God can build on what he or she already knows in their memory as a foundation they already have. The point is we are our brother's keeper and our example does matter. Our example, as imperfect as it is now, we're not perfect, but God is using it. God's perfecting it. God is helping us to grow and become something that that can be a reflection of, of Him. And that's what we strive for every day. We read of how God wants us to not just take in the Holy Spirit, but to let it flow out of us. Uh, Jesus Christ said the purpose of having and receiving the Holy Spirit is not just to keep it to ourselves, but that the Spirit would flow out of us. And it would flow out of our heart and toward others in love and in service, in care, in concern, in support, and in sacrifice. We are laying down tracks that others will follow, just as sure as we are following our forebears. There's a song that came out some time ago that I think is really meaningful. It's called Find Us Faithful. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it uh, to you, so you don't have to worry about that. But I do want to share uh, the words with you. They go like this. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road, and those who've gone before us lined the way. "'Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, "'they lived a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. "'Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, "'let us run the race not only for the prize, "'but as those who've gone before us, "'let us leave to those behind us "'the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. "'Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful.'" May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone, and our children sift through all we've left behind, May the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Brethren, the great white throne judgment period will be an awesome time to be alive. What an opportunity it will be to help bring the truth to all mankind, to be an example to set the pace for people coming up at that time. We are fallible human beings. We're not perfect what we are, who we are, that God could use us. But as we strive to walk in the footsteps of those who have gone before, and He uses us and He teaches us, and even uses our example of all things, our example. Who are we that God could use us to teach others? Who are we? Let's turn in conclusion to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6. You realize just what a a powerful thing that is, that God could look to us as an example for others to follow. What a burden, yes. It is a heavy burden, but we don't bear it alone. We have God's Spirit. It's really Christ in us that they're following. But it's not just a burden. It's a tremendous opportunity. It's a golden opportunity. It's, it's an awesome opportunity. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6, we read, "...but one testified in a certain place, saying, "'What is man that you are mindful of him?' Or the son of man that you take care of him, you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. What an incredible thing that God is giving to us an opportunity to be leaders in the millennium, an opportunity to be leaders in the great white throne judgment period and then on beyond, as Mr. Armstrong used to say, this is not the end, it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning of, of, of other plans and, and ultimately for the whole universe that, that we just only have a glimpse of now. Brethren, in the coming weeks and months and years, Let's work, let's strive to overcome. Let's ask God for His help because we dearly need it. Let's ask Him to fill us with His His Spirit more and more. Let's humble ourselves. Let's submit our life to Him. So our example, our example is fitting and strong and godly as He works out His plan of this last great day.